Locked On Nationals podcast, episode number three. Josh Neighbors here alongside me, Connor Jones, for the third straight episode. And today we've got a few issues to tackle, three main things. We've got number one, Ryan Zimmerman signed on Friday evening by the Washington Nationals. He will come back uh, and be with the team at the age of 35, so the captain is back. Second, we'll talk about Luis Rojas being hired as manager of the Washington, excuse me, of the New York Mets. And then uh, third, we will discuss some of the audio that we heard from Davey Martinez. He did a town hall with Chuck Todd at Sirius XM Studios here in Washington, D.C. I was able to be there. We'll play some of his audio clips and discuss some of his other quotes and get some reaction uh, to those things. So first things first, Connor, the captain is back. And this is one thing that you and I were, were actually talking about was uh, when would Ryan Zerman actually come back to the Washington Nationals? And it was funny because one of the things that Davey Martinez had mentioned last week was he's like, well, he's our captain, and he currently is still our captain, so I hope we resign him. But uh, Mr. National is coming back. There was really no concern, was there, about whether Zerman will be back in D.C.? No, the toughest question to decide there was going to be when was Ryan Zerman going to resign? Because we all figured it was going to happen, but I don't think we knew when it would happen. Would it be February? Would it be right before spring training? Would it be now? And it turns out um, it happened last night, Friday night, um, for Ryan Zimmerman to re-sign with the Nationals. And it really looks like the Nationals got him on a very team-friendly contract, which was to be expected with Ryan Zimmerman saying that he was going to either retire or continue playing with the Washington Nationals. But with the production Ryan Zimmerman can still give you as a hitter when he's healthy, I think you love that $2 million guaranteed deal if you're a Nationals fan. Moving on now. The Mets have hired a manager. So Luis Rojas was announced this week that he will be the manager of the New York Mets. Obviously, Carlos Beltran was fired after the sign-stealing scandal. There was some talk, and you and I discussed it, that the Mets might make a pass at Tim Bogar, the bench coach of the Nationals. He was a candidate in their first coaching search. But the the Mets decided to go and hire somebody from within. And, Connor, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, and my big thought is that This shows, it's another demonstration, that I think the Phillies, the Mets, the Braves, and the Nationals are all teams in the NL NL East that believe in their roster and kind of believe in their vision. And this is why the Mets were like, you know what, we're not going to go out and get somebody outside of the organization. We're going to bring somebody in on a short contract that people like that kind of knows what we're working with here. He was a quality control coach in 19. And I think it's just another step that shows all, all four of these NL East teams and the, the Marlins being excluded here, they all do believe in their rosters and they all do believe in their current vision. I think the Mets showed that with that hire. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it shows that I think that in the NL East obviously it's a really tough division there's four teams that legitimately think that they can win the NL East and think that they can win the World Series so that's going to shape up for some exciting baseball it's going to make things tough on those four contenders that are in the division because each team believes that they have the roster that can win it I think if you're the Nationals you like to still have Tim Bogar back you like that the Mets went in a different direction but from the Mets perspective you know you want to keep things in house in that situation which kind of makes sense if you believe in in the culture that you have and it sounds like they do if they stay healthy they really think that they can win the division and and maybe more than that yeah i think and once again they're they're in a good position with their roster in a really competitive division and i don't think they wanted to mess up too much of that chemistry which i completely understand so i i think given the context and given the situation that they've been put in it's not an easy decision right i mean having to hire a manager in late january is not going to be easy after going through what they went through 
But all things considered, I, I think a move that kind of keeps them in the same position, Rojas abilities, we're going to see. Um, but I think that move does keep them somewhat competitive. And and look, the, I think if you said if, if any of the four teams won the division next year, nobody could be surprised. Phillies, I'd be a bit surprised. But if the Braves, Nats, or Mets won, I, I don't think anybody would be shocked at all, would you? No, I, I don't think it would be shocking at all. And I think in those situations, it comes down to health, whose lineup can stay healthy, whose pitching can stay healthy. And that can kind of determine those things. Because if you look at it on paper, each of the three teams has a very legitimate roster for going to the postseason in 2020. So you just you have to stay healthy. If you're the Mets, you don't want to have pitching injuries. You don't want your lineup to get hurt. And it's the same thing if you're the Nats and the Braves, because things can kind of turn on their heads when critical guys go down with an injury. As a listener of this great podcast, you will hear about all the other great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Nationals podcast is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Nats fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with the Nationals fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, so are we ready to attack this Davey Martinez audio? Absolutely, yeah. Some interesting thoughts from Davey this past week. The one thing I'll say about this, just from a glance, it was cool to see him. First of all, I had no idea Chuck Todd was going to be the one interviewing him. Actually, I saw Chuck Todd in there, and I was like, is, are, is Chuck Todd the town hall like guest? Like, is he the one being interviewed? Um, and, you know, people have thoughts about Chuck Todd that are political, whatever. He's from D.C. He is a Nats fan. It was really cool. His son was sitting in the first row and was super excited. And Chuck was, too. Chuck, you know, for people who don't know, Chuck hosts Meet the Press, in one of the most famous Sunday shows uh, in all of the country. And so he's used to interviewing people. And even he just seemed a little bit, um, not nervous, but really excited. Martinez, on the other hand... There's just something about winning, and he's not the most, inter- you know, Connor, would you say he's the most engaging person that talks, like, to the media? I'd say that Davey is the kind of guy who'll repeat the same thing over and over again to the media, and it's kind of the same thing that he'll repeat to the team over and over again, and when you look at that from a, the perspective of how he does his job, that's exactly what you want, because... Yeah. If you look at last year when the team's 19 and 31, Davey Martinez is, is saying the same things to the guys in the clubhouse that he was saying to them when they come out of spring training as a World Series contender. So I think that that carries over to the media. And, and that's kind of what you get from Davey Martinez. And I think that's a lot of the reason why he was so successful last year. You know, this is the first clip we're going to play about, about Anthony, Anthony, Anthony Rendon. Uh, we'll take a listen right now. But I think it's really interesting. So give us a listen right here about him reacting to what life will be like without Anthony Rendon. We're all going to miss him. Um, 
Yeah, not only you know what he's done on the field, but what he's done off the field as well. Uh, he's a big part of Washington D.C. He really was. So, uh, but with that being said, you know these guys understand the game, and they you know they, they understand each other, and they understand players, uh, families, um, and they get it. I mean, you know, he's he's moved on. We we miss him. You know, we're gonna miss, you know we're gonna miss him. Mm-hmm. But we got to focus on you know spring training and and uh, life without him. Obviously, acknowledging what a great person he was for the team, Connor, and also in the community as well, too. Um, your thoughts about what Davey said about you know missing a guy who was, I, I'm not sure, not a captain, but like, you know, a guy who had captain-like tendencies and it was a great player. Yeah, I think when you listen to Davey there, you hear that he has a lot of respect for Anthony Rendon as a baseball player, obviously, but also the kind of guy he was in the community in D.C. for the Nationals. That's going to be missed as well with the Youth Baseball Nationals Academy. You're obviously going to miss him as a hitter, which Davey Martinez points out there, and you're going to miss him with what he brings to you on the field and in his relaxed attitude in the clubhouse. But at the same time, he kind of he points out that guys in that clubhouse, there's a lot of veterans, they know it's a business, and, and guys move on. They do what they need to do for for their families and you know everybody understands that so you're you're disappointed you don't have him there because you'd love to have him his entire career but at some point you don't you're faced with no other choice but to move on and hope that somebody else can step in and and fill his role as good as they possibly can yeah we don't have the audio of um what he said about the third base situation we do have a, i do have a quote from him um, we'll get to that later on about what's going to what's going to happen at third base. Don't worry. And then something else, you know, we talk about Rendon. He talked about chemistry, and t- coaches talk about chemistry ad nauseum. He is somebody that fully, fully believes in team chemistry. Let's take a listen to what he had to say about the team's chemistry last year and, and moving forward too. This this is family, you know. For for nine months out of the year, we're family, you know, and 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 it, it, that. That doesn't go away, and if you don't feel that way, maybe maybe you know you need to do something else. That was one of the more interesting quotes. I love what he said about you know nine months out of the year, this is a family, and if you know if that if you're not into that or you don't want to be a part of it, you can find something else to do. I really love that. I, I I adore. I think people should adore that about a manager who wants to create a family, who believes so desperately in the idea that the team has it needs to be a collection of people who like to be around each other, and that is so often important and I think especially in sports and you'll see us in basketball too I think more now uh, some of these teams just feel like mercenary teams and I think a good team to mention would be like the LA Clippers like you know it kind of feels like a mercenary team you know Kawhi just quietly goes in the night to go and play with the Clippers Um, I think baseball teams because the size of the team and just the duration of a season there's something to building a group collective that is so important and he above everything else i think this is his biggest strength understands that there's a couple reasons that chemistry is so important for a baseball team one is they have to spend so much time with each other more so than other sports 162 games is obviously a ton of baseball games to play so if you don't like the guys or get along with the guys in the clubhouse at least from a working perspective things can get really tiresome being around each other every single day and that definitely hinders performance the second thing is when things go negatively, if you don't have a tight-knit group, you're going to be more likely to point fingers and potentially fold. And that could have happened last year when the team struggled out of the gate. If they don't have that, that tight-knit group, I think, in strong chemistry, then that team probably folds. Chemistry is so important in baseball. It is in other sports as well, but in a sport like baseball where you are around each other, a lot of times more often than you're around your families, you have to have great chemistry. 
Yeah, and I think that was evident by the, the fact that, you know, the 1931 and the team as a, as a whole just sacked up and started playing damn good baseball, for lack of a better term. Um, yeah, I, I think it's totally evident there. This one's the most interesting one. I think every single Nationals fan has had thoughts about this this season. Davey Martinez, when asked about uh, by Chuck Todd about how do you give a team an edge after the performance that you had last season, what gives them an edge this season? I want these guys to understand what they did, how they did it. Focus on that. Don't, don't let that go away. But let's not forget what it felt like, what it feels like to win. Everybody always talks about losing. You want to forget that. And this is something that I, I want to make sure that they understand. We are good. Okay, the season was over. We got, we got, a, we, we, we got a vacation. But, hey, think about all the good things we did and focus on that. We're, we're good. Yes, yeah, yeah, so Connor, you know, he says here, hey, think about the good. Think about the, the, the things that you accomplished. And I love the idea of, you know, how losing motivates people. And he's like, no, winning should. Winning, remember the good things you did. And he didn't mean that in the idea of, like, you know, cherish the good times. You know, he meant, hey, recreate what you did last year. What I love the most out of this was the fact that he said he thought so much about what to say to his team. And I think his perspective and, and his you know, introspection are one of his, once again, this is one of his best qualities. This is, this is his wheelhouse. Like going one and no today, finding the things to motivate teams. This is what Davey Martinez does. He's, he's absolutely right. In my opinion, about trying to recreate that feeling because, you know, guys come off a year like that and it's going to be tough to recreate. That team was kind of a, a once in a career kind of team. I think we've heard FP Santangelo say that on the broadcasts last year that what was going on with that 2019 group was kind of a once in a, a career thing for a player. But when you come back, you can still recreate that to a degree. You can you can recreate that feeling of winning, and you want to reca- once you recapture that energy. Hopefully, it starts in spring training. Then you can carry that over to the year. But losing motivates a lot of people. But if that's kind of your sole motivation, then you go into this offseason into next year, and you don't you don't feel that because you didn't really lose a lot. You won the championship. Losing can't be your primary motivation. In this situation, it has to be about recreating what you felt last year. Yeah, and then his last clip here. This was the most fun that I had to include this. When he was asked, this is what he said when he was asked, hey, which player would currently make the best manager? But if I had to pick one guy, mm-hmm. And you probably see me talking to him a lot on, on TV. The Daisy Don't Pitch, yeah. number 31. Yeah. Mad Max. Yeah. Talk about a guy that might top you in rage at a manager. <laughs> if there's anybody that I could think could, over, could out George Brett or Davey Martinez, it might be Max. Huh? Uh, I love him. I love him. <laughs> hey, to put the right name every fifth day, it's phenomenal. The, the Max Scherzer thing, man. Like you and I, you and I played for pretty intense coach in high school. Um, there's certain kinds of coaches where they demand a certain amount of competitiveness from their players. I don't know if Max Scherzer would be a good manager because I don't know if people would be. It's like almost co- if Kobe Bryant was a coach. Like nobody's gonna bring the the intensity level. It, not everybody will that that guy has. But isn't that super interesting that uh, he thought Mad Max would be a good manager? Yeah, I'll give you one reason why I think that Max could be a great manager, and then I'll give you a second reason why I think he would not do well as a manager. The reason I think that he could succeed in that role would be that he's the kind of guy that loves being around the game of baseball to the degree where he can handle being a manager. There's a lot of guys that love baseball around the league, but there's very few that I think love it to the degree that he does. He can be around it all day, and he still might not get enough. 
and a guy I think about that in a similar way was Daniel Murphy. Those are the two guys I think of as Washington Nationals recently, where it's like these guys really love the game. When they're outside of the game, they're still thinking about the game. The reason I think that he could potentially struggle is because across coaching and managing in all sports, guys that are that talented, supremely gifted, they struggle to coach others because they're working with, most times, an entire roster of people that aren't as good as them. So that can get frustrating, and that can wear on you as a as a former player when you're more talented than everybody that you're working with. That's why a lot of times I think you see in coaching, it's the guys that they were you know, maybe high IQ players. They weren't the most gifted guys in the world that seem to be the ones that do the best in that role. The third base situation. He said Carter Keboom is going to have a chance to play third, and he's going to have a chance to, play, to be the third baseman. You and I were talking last week, Connor, and you said he's either going to be playing for in AAA or he's either going to be with the Major League roster. There's no in-between. Yeah, I have a, some thoughts on the third base situation and then on the offense kind of as a whole, especially around the infield. At third base, I think we're spot on. We've discussed this, that Carter Keeboom's either going to come out of spring training as the everyday third baseman with Trey Turner, Starlin Castro, and then the platoon at first base around the infield, and then or he's going to be sent down to AAA so that he can play every day, and Wilmer Defoe or Adrian Sanchez will take up that final roster spot as a kind of a utility infielder. We've seen it in the past with the Nationals. Mike Rizzo is big on young prospects, their top guys. They want them to be playing every day, no matter what that level is. So if they're going to come up to the major leagues, they're going to be the starter every day. We saw it for about a week and a half last year when Carter Keboom was called up when Trey Turner was hurt. He was the shortstop every day. Obviously, he struggled in that situation as a young player. He wasn't quite ready for it. But if he shows in spring training that he's ready to be an everyday guy, and they are hoping he is because he was a first-round pick for a reason, he's going to be the everyday third baseman for the Nats. Yeah, the third base situation, You know, I, I think we look across the league, and I need to ask you, it just doesn't seem likely that the Nats could go out and get one of those guys, could they? There, this kind of fits into what I was going to say about the offense as a whole, and it kind of fits in with what Ryan, re-signing Ryan Zimmerman did for them. So at first base, I was looking at an article from Mass and Sports' Mark Zuckerman this morning, and they're paying $9 million to their first base group this year, and that includes Eric Thames, Hallie Kendrick, and Ryan Zimmerman. Last year, they paid $25 million for the group of Ryan Zimmerman, Hallie Kendrick, and Matt Adams. You were hoping that Eric Thames will be an upgrade over Adams. You're hoping that Kendrick can come close to replicating his performance from last year, which will obviously be good luck. (laughs) And then the final thing is, though, you can you hope that Ryan Zerman can stay healthier and then provide more for you over the course of the regular season than he did in 2019. So if two of the two of those three guys should be upgrades over what they had last year in saving that money. They're now currently $16 million below the luxury tax threshold. I don't think we're going to go out and see them sign another free agent. But what I think you could see is in the summer, if that third base spot or anywhere else proves to be a weakness for them, they should have the ability to add on more so than they have in past years where they were up either over or close to that luxury tax threshold. If they have that much money to work with, it's going to assist them in potentially adding some reinforcements at the deadline. So if one of those guys struggle but the Nats stay in contention, they should be able to to figure that out at the deadline more so than in the past. So they're going to give either Azdrubal Cabrera, Carter Keboom a chance, and they certainly hope that that guy ends up being an ev- a great everyday option for them. But with that money, they can definitely add on 
at some point throughout the year, whatever position that may be. And that's going to help a team like the Nats that they have some top prospects, but they don't have guys that are not, they don't have much depth in the organization right now. Prospect wise, if they can take on more money at a potential trade deadline deal. All right, Connor, thank you so much for joining me today. We and I will connect uh, next week. I'm sure the back end of next week. We'll have some news, uh, any more news then. If not, you and I can just talk batch the entire time. <laughs>